Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. We're in seven and a half years of talking with very capable people doing important work in many, many walks of life, people representing many faiths, many communities, many belief systems, but they're unified with their philanthropic output, the love for humankind, and wanting to others. And today we have a special group of friends that are here where I live and where Center Vision is located in Lynchburg, Virginia. We've interviewed people all over the world, but there's amazing things happening in the neighborhoods where we live. So I encourage you to look around and learn to collaborate. And um, our team today, um, uh, Finney, Tarek, and Martha, um, are just special people that have been faithful to a vision and have made things happen. And uh, I want to hear about their journey. I want to share with you. And so you can be encouraged and you can learn in whatever enterprise that you're leading. So Finney Matthews, I want to start with you and let you introduce your team. So welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange and tell people a little bit about who Finney is and then let the other team members do the same. Well, thank you, um, Mr. Hiblu, for inviting us to participate uh, in this uh, beautiful uh, forum. Uh, we are excited. My name is Finney Matthew, uh, co-founder of the Lighthouse uh, Community Center. Uh, founded this organization in 2004, uh, by the grace of God, with a vision to uh, to make a difference in our community, reaching out to the people who are in need, in desperate need, and how we could make an impact through showing the true love of God, not by preaching alone, but in action. So I've been blessed with wonderful uh, a blessing of having two amazing people who have the same vision and the mission is to serve. And God put us together and in a united effort, we've been able to a lot of things. So I would like to introduce um, uh, Martha Brown, who uh, joined uh, us together in 2008. And then of course, Tarek joined us in 2010, I believe, or 11, 2011. Well, wow, that's the first time I came was 2011. Yes, so here we are. Um, God just aligned us together with the heart to serve our community. And we got so much to share today with all of you of what God is doing through us. So I'm going to pass the torch to Martha. And then, of course, uh, Tarek, we could all share about who you are and all right. what we're all about. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again. My name is uh, Martha Brown, and I am very grateful to be able to speak with everybody and uh, introduce a little bit of what the Lighthouse is. I think that what's important is uh, we hope that your takeaway today is that what we're doing is really very practical and very simple, but most importantly, it's intentional. And if, as the gospel has commanded us to be intentional and, uh, and provide an opportunity to be hospitable, invite conversation, and be a good listener, it's amazing what you can hear if you just put out an open hand and an opportunity for conversation. And as we are given an opportunity to be friends with individuals in the community that were very marginalized, they were, they were uh, living in extreme poverty, they were uh, not getting services that they even knew that were available for them. And if we were willing to come alongside and act as uh, sometimes a drill sergeant, sometimes a cheerleader, sometimes a social worker, sometimes an advisor, uh, and sometimes just a navigator and just throwing them a lifeline, then we were able to identify enormous holes in the gospel. And all we're trying to do was find ways to fill those holes. Some organizations had their hands tied and they were not able to be able to meet those needs as the gospel commanded us. We're not going to judge them for what they can and cannot do. But if we've been exposed to the need and we've been commissioned, what are you going to do about it? Then we decided we would go on ahead and, uh, and pick up that opportunity and go see if we could harvest that field. And I'll tell you what, the harvest is rich. There are so many souls 
that need a hand that's welcoming that will deliver them into the hand of a savior. And it starts out very simple, very tangibly, but the rewards are incredibly enriching, especially when you know that you've met somebody that you will now know for eternity. And as far as the services go, we have to be open-minded and willing to, to, uh, to ship those services depending on the needs of that time, whether it's right now, we've got COVID. And what we've learned over the last year is a lot of the services that we could provide two years ago were suspended when we couldn't become a taste shelter anymore. But as we were noticing that you yourself probably saw, if COVID wasn't killing people, isolation was. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, we needed to find a way to take that ministry to the streets. And we did. And through that, we learned a new beat. And with that, I'm going to introduce Tarek so he can talk a little bit more about the birth of some of the new services that we've really been able to prioritize and, uh, and light a flame to. A little, bit more about, a little bit, a bit more about Martha before you pass it. Who is Martha? Oh. <laughs> Who is, well, what, what makes you tick? Okay. Well, uh, I guess I'm very much like uh, the meaning of my name. I worship when I work and my middle name is Ruth. So go figure. I won't leave my people. And so I blame my parents for choosing a name that very much defines my character and who I am today. Uh, I met Finney in 2008 through a mutual friend um, that was adamant for three straight years that the Lord had told him that we'd be working together for the kingdom. And uh, three stubborn years later, we finally agreed to meet. And in this building is where we decided that we would make ourselves available, working together and at the same time serving together. And through that, one person turned into two, turned into three, turned into four, never being overwhelmed. But, uh, you know, I would, uh, Finney has some incredible gifts at networking and, and building relationships and, and visioning, you know, some, some robust operations. I'm much more on the administrative side where I have to water, you know, all of those ideas and I got to prune them and find ways to, um, you know, direct them. So he makes uh, a good president and I make a good executive director. And those are the roles that we really do uh, balance off of each other. Did she say she was the cleanup specialist? She is. She does a great job. I interrupted Tarek, the golden tones Tarek, so go for it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mr. Ballou, and, and uh, thanks for having us on. And also for everyone who might be listening or watching. Uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to speak about the Lighthouse. And as you can tell, Martha is always enthusiastic about the Lighthouse. Even when she's supposed to be talking about herself, it's going to focus on the Lighthouse anyway. But a little bit about me. I uh, grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania, a little town of 91 people. It was called Presto. And if you look on the map, you probably won't find it because it's not listed on most maps. But I grew up with seven siblings. Uh, with a single mother after her and my father divorced. And so that is where I learned community. So for me, that was the, that was the beginnings of, of how you would learn how to share everything that you had, you know, food, clothes, a bedroom, friends, uh, even birthdays. I had a brother that was born two weeks. Uh, he was born two weeks away from my birthday. And so we had to share birthday cakes. So everything was shared. Uh, but when I came here to Liberty in the early 80s, I was studying psychology. I, I came back in the 90s and got a master's in counseling. I left from here to go down to Florida, St. Petersburg, to study uh, for a PhD in higher education administration because my goal was to work at a college or university. Uh, but after the first year in my doctoral program, I got divorced. And immediately, God kept prompting me to come back to Lynchburg. And I had been here twice before and had no intention on coming back because I didn't like it the first two times. But it was very persistent, uh, just like I needed to come back here for something. And I didn't know why. But when I finally decided after three years of fighting with God from 2008 until 2011, I came back 
And God kind of emblazoned a verse in my mind, and it was Proverbs 11, 11. By the blessings of the upright, this city is exalted. And when I pondered on that verse, and I really looked at what it meant for me, uh, there was a kind of a vision for me of the corner of 9th Street and Main Street here in Lynchburg, which was ironic because I knew the area, but when I came up here, that was where my office ended up being in City Hall, 915 Main Street. I was in the Galleria, and I was, I was the last office in the Galleria before you got into City Hall. And so I got a chance to meet a lot of people who really impact the city on a, on a much greater level than I ever could. But it was through forging those relationships and having my mindset that was birthed in my hometown, in a large family, that sense of community. And how if Lynchburg was going to be made better, number one, it would be made better by that verse, Proverbs 11, 11, by the blessings of the upright, the city is exalted. So when I came back, I saw God strategically placing Christians in key positions throughout the city. And many of them started to express and verbalize the same ideas that we had been talking about for years. And when we found those partners, we started to work together to accomplish some of the things that the White House has been able to accomplish the last few years. And that's what's been fun. It's having an idea that you think is just an idea, but when you come together with other people who are being inspired by God to do the same thing, it allows you to really use the gifts that God has given you plus all of the experiences you have. Uh, as I said, I grew up in a large family, but I also went to the military. I worked in seven different churches and I've worked mostly in residential programs. Well, right now we're getting ready to embark on a, a huge uh, housing initiative. And it's exciting because that's right up my alley, but it incorporates all the things that we've learned. And so we're all just using the gifts that God has given us but we're doing it in a collaborative fashion. And whenever you put more people with the same idea on the same path, boy, you're gonna get good results. And that's what we see happening here. That's a good manifestation of our, manifestation of our brand, the synergy through a common vision. That's so it. That's, that's, that's perfect. So um, I lived in St. Pete. I came here from St. Pete via Atlanta, Huntsville, Alabama. So I spent 26 years in St. Pete and, and wow. you, you founded um, Lighthouse in 2004. That's the year I met Leanne Taylor. And so my life changed, your life changed. So let's, let's put a context around this. Lynchburg, Virginia, before the Civil War, was second maybe the wealthiest country, city in the country. Now, when I moved here three years ago, uh, probably still is, has the highest poverty in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And in right. my, my zip code, 01, it's higher than, than, than the rest of the city as a whole. So there's different pockets of higher poverty. I'm in, I'm in zero one. So you're working in, in a community that has a lot of needs in many, many areas. And so tell us about, you know, out of every hundred people that have an idea, there's three people that actually do something about it, law of averages. And there's one of those that's gonna succeed. Um, so you're down to that, that rarefied space that you really had an idea, you did it. And so Finney, you were, you forged ahead with the idea and then you've put a team together and I've seen the team grow since I've been here. Um, so how did this vision, you know, what was the vision about? Can you, can you articulate what the vision for Lighthouse was and is, has it, has it morphed or is it pretty much the same? No, it's been, you know, the Lighthouse mission always has been to see how you could touch people's life and you know and that's pretty broad because again you cannot be very you know specific in one way because you're you're dealing with people and when you're working with people and you know there's a lot of baggage that comes with people and we and we need to we need to see where how how do we deal with situations how do we walk people through a situation and you know how do we explain and 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 find a final you know aspects of where we could take someone, and 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 you know that 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 whole vision of okay, 
let's focus on people where they're at, not to, again, judging them for what they did. You know, again, these were some of the things we all grew up, you know, in growing up in the church. We were taught to not to associate with certain people, not to do any of those kind of things, but we had to come out of that mold of what we were taught to say, wait a second, I'm not gonna follow what I was taught, but I'm gonna do what God is calling me to do. That means to love my neighbor, love my enemy, love the true love of God has to be expressed in our action, not just in on a pulpit, because easy to preach on a pulpit every Sunday, but if we're not able to practice what we preach, you know, we, we're really not doing what God is calling us to do. So uh, something, you know, I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor. I come from a Pentecostal background and, you know, in a firestorm and, you know, you know you're going to hear it if you, don't, if you do the wrong things. But the true love of God, which I, I got to learn from my father, which even though he was in the Pentecostal denomination, I saw a totally different person when it came down to working with people inviting people to my home in Brooklyn, where I grew up, and uh, seeing people who were addicts, uh, that he would bring them into the house, and he would literally let them stay in, my, stay in our apartment, where we already had seven people, two bedrooms. He would invite them in. He would let them sleep over because he was, you know, he was drunk and he could not. And we, we, I always said, man, why is my dad bringing such people to the house? But then now it makes me to understand later on in my life, man, this is how you truly love somebody. Like don't judge, judge them for where they're at, but love them for where they where God can take them to. So I learned this from my young age growing up and I had a, a good dad who actually showed in action, not just on the pulpit, but he was there doing what God has called him to do. And it's a beautiful, amazing story. One day I could share with you all. But it's a, it's, it's a long story, but it cut it short. I came from India at the age of 10 as an immigrant. I grew up in Brooklyn. My dad came in 1972 to start the first Indian church, or Pentecostal church in Brooklyn. And um, I saw how God was working through him in, in reaching out and touching people's life. And I saw him dedicated, giving his life and serving every single day. And Everybody who knows me can tell you, and I'm a duplication of my father, 100%, even my aunt tells me. Why? Because to me, serving God is about a dedication, a true dedication to serve him. Means you give everything that you have. Everything of you has to be given. Only then God can take you and use you to the way he wants to use you. So that's the dedication that I made when I came down to Lynchburg in 2000, but it took me till 2008 to get myself together because I was still searching and thinking that I had it all figured out. You know, we all go through the process of, I got it all figured out. I know exactly what to do till you surrender. So I had to surrender my life into the hand of God and say, Lord, here am I, send me and use me for your glory. And ever since that dedication took place, he started to connect people. He started to bring people together because I knew at the end of the day, this is not a finny thing, it is a God thing. And when God puts his people together, nobody can stop it. People can throw monkey wrench, but those monkey wrenches usually would backfire on them. It never, it never happens. It only makes us stronger in what we do. So it's just been a great blessing. And of course, you know all about the unity in our community concept. Where it was all about bringing the people together, working together, uniting the body of Christ, giving a vision and a mission to serve rather than, you know, keeping it all to my ministry, you know, my thing, or, you know, my church is doing this. No, this is about all of us coming together, throwing in all of us resources into the pot and making a huge impact in our community. So that's where the lighthouse comes in. We don't have a, a beautiful $1 million budget sitting in the lighthouse, but we have hundreds of million dollars worth of resources of people that's priceless. I mean, you cannot pay for people like him, pay, pay, pay for people like Martha. There, there is no price on people who are dedicated their life to God and, and willing to serve 24-7. You, you, can't, you can't buy people like that. This is not a job to us. This is a, a passion, a vision of serving God. And to me, 
that's what drives us. That's what drives me every single day when I wake up. I say, man, another day that I could go and see and love and touch and do what God is calling me to do. And then I get to work with a couple of amazing people that you see here. But behind us, there's many, so many others who are working tirelessly daily in serving this community. So we're just thankful for that opportunity. Well, you're, you're, it's a calling. It's not a job. So let's, um, I want to unpack this, this community piece, but uh, you also are a businessman, correct? That, that's, that is correct. Um, and we are still, we are still in the business. Uh, I personally uh, invented a technology uh, uh, in 2008, 2007. And uh, that technology has taken us to where uh, we made a, before the product ever got into the market, and this is where a lot of people have a hard time doing, is to dedicate what God has given you for the kingdom. And that's exactly what we did. We dedicated 51% of our earnings to be put back into the ministry. And, and, and with that understanding, uh, Martha also joined that, that team. And, uh, and Martha and I have earned whatever we earned, I would say by the grace of God, and we want to give glory to God for we, we, we literally put more than 70, 80, 90% of, sometimes even 100% of what we made back into the ministry because we knew, you know, sowing that seed was important because one life, touching one life and one transformation of one person's life to the kingdom is priceless. So that was our main focus and we just stick to that concept. By the grace of God, we were able to pay our bills and we were happy with that. We didn't need a boat. We didn't need a yacht. We didn't need a Bugatti. Even though Tara, uh, even yes. though, even yes. though yes. Tara, Tara likes <laughs> but we are not looking for any of those riches of this earth. We 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 are blessed with what we need, and we are happy with that. And that's what I tell people. I said, look, learn to be satisfied with what you have, and 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 stay focused on you know on what. God is calling us to do because we're only here. We're only here for a short time, you know? Make the best out of the time that God gives you. Every minute counts, every day counts. Don't waste it, don't lose it by, you know, thinking and doing the wrong things. Just stay focused and, and stay direct on the vision and the mission. That is to love people. That is a mission. It's to love people how God loved us. That's it. You've got a calling. Um, you've talked about um, stewardship, you know, being good stewards of resources that aren't ours. You know, we're stewards of everything we've got. Um, and also um, the, um, the connectivity. Let's talk about <clears throat> what a lot of business leaders, nonprofit leaders don't know how to do, or if they do, they don't do it very well. That's build a collaboration amongst other organizations regardless of their faith background, regardless of their institutional background. It might be education, it might be government, it might be business, it might be a different kind of nonprofit. So talk about your vision for unity in the community and how has that morphed over the years and how's that been beneficial to the common, common goals of all those organizations? Well, thank you for asking because to me, at the end of the day, unity in our community is was what really got all our community leaders, our business organizations, our nonprofits, including many of the local churches who participated, they actually got to see how we could actually work together. And, and you know, it's not about, you know, if you are a certain denomination, it's not, it was not about if you're Muslim or, or a Jew, it didn't matter who you are, what it mattered is how can we work together and serve the people? So we, we take out the equation of do you believe it this way or that way? Not, this is not a religious uh, you know, outreach. It is more of a humanitarian outreach. You know? And God has created everyone equally. There is no you know, Jew or Gentile. Everybody is sane in the eyes of God. So we take that approach and we go out and serving. And our, our organization is a global uh, entity that's been working for more than uh, 25 years. But you know, this our local organization here has a great reach 
only because of those network of connections that we bring together. And we, we, we work it in a way so that everybody is given the opportunity to do their part. You know, nobody's asking anyone to do something outside from what they are capable of doing. We ask, hey, what can you do? I always share the story of, it's not that we don't have, it's that nobody's giving directions as to what they need to do. Like Jesus said, look, there's 5,000 people sitting here, they're hungry, you know, and they were like, wow, we don't know what to do. Well, somebody had to go out and ask, hey, is there anybody got any food here, you know? And of course, one boy came out of the whole 5,000 and said, look, I got five loaves and two fish. Now, somebody had to go out and ask that question until somebody asked, somebody is not going to come out and share. So we as a community, as we come together, somebody had to step up to the plate and somebody had to initiate the, the question. Somebody has to ask A, there has to be an ask. And that's what, you know, we, we took on that ask request and said, hey, does anybody have something that we can take and, and, and use it for, for being a community? So by the grace of God, and that's all I can tell you, over the last five years since we started the unity in our community, every first Saturday of the month, we have created a, a humongous amount of network of connections in our community with people who truly care to do something. Now, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna word that very carefully because there are people out there, you know, who want to do things, but they say, no, we got to keep it in our own thing. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. I tell people, look, you want to do your church thing? You want to do your own, uh, you know, organizational thing? That's fine. But imagine if we all collaborated to work on something at major cost. For example, you know, we are about to embark on a housing initiative right here in our community for families who are living in the low income bracket. 26% of our people in our city are living under poverty. We have over 3,000 people on the wait list looking for a place that they could go and at least as an apartment they can even get. That is the saddest situation that we have right here in our community. Now, what are we doing about it? Yes, we are building five homes, by X organization or 10 homes by another organization every year. But that's, what does that do to actually dealing with the real problem? Absolutely nothing. But of course, we love the fact that somebody's doing it. But we understood going in that this requires something more than just building another 10 houses. This requires building the next 2,500 homes over the next five years so that we could truly make a dent, a major dent in the, in the issues our community is dealing with. And, and through the collaborative partnerships that we were able to build between the United Way and all these other local agencies and support, business organizations, they said, hey, we want to be part of this. We want to help you in any way we can. Even GenWorks, local GenWorks organization, you know, is, is getting behind in any way they could support. And we are working with them, talking to them, there's a lot of major nonprofits, I mean, uh, business organizations who's here, you know, have their ears open to what we are doing. And I know it's just a matter of us sending it to them and they will understand the impact their organization can make. And I invite the churches in our city who have the financial whereabouts to jump in and say, look, we wanna be part of this. So this is an open invitation from the Unity in Our Community concept. <laughs> That we invite everybody. Look, this is our thing. This is a community thing. This is a united thing. This is something we as a community can go out and make an impact if we truly want to do and truly want to follow God's calling in our life. Because if you don't have that, you're not going to do it. I promise you, you're going to hear what I'm going to say right now. And he's going to say, hey, this ain't for me. And I get that. A lot of people are the same for you. But if you're truly given the heart to serve God, this is for you. You're going to find a way to make an impact in your community by collaborative partnerships, joint resources, working together as one in Christ. And, and, and you, we use Christ as our model, the book of Acts as our model, because there was no needs among them when they worked together in unity. So 
Our vision is to stick to the book, stick to the principle that's already been laid out. Lighthouse is not a new model we came up with. Lighthouse is a model that already existed in the book of Acts. We're just taking the playbook from the book of Acts and just, oh, so that's what they did. Oh, that's how they did it. Oh, why don't we just follow the model that's already been given to us 2,000 years ago? And it worked because there's no need among them. Yeah. My God, why did we walk away from that? I don't know. Why did we have to run away to doing our own thing? I don't know. But that's how the devil gets into the details and, and mess up our direction. But he said, you know what, God, thank you, Lord, for leading us back to where you want us to go. That we're is actually, to go back. But we're actually, <laughs> actually need, we actually need the angel in the details. Uh, so I'm going to do a sponsor moment here. And then uh, one of um, our community leaders from Bedford is on, on the uh, webcast, uh, Sheikh Ahmad Rashid, Legacy International, whom I'm sure you know. But I'll let him make a comment or ask a question, you know, talking about um, collaborations. So we, as you know, because you were in um, article about uh, Lighthouse and Unity Community was in one of the issues of uh, Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine, which we, we publish. Uh, and it's our printer is WordSprint. And WordSprint is a master at helping you stay in touch with your tribe. It's print, top of market, top of mind marketing. So to keep the donors donating, to keep the supporters showing up in, in time, talent, and money, you want to be in touch with them. 30% is the right message. 30% to the right person, 30% is the rhythm of your communications. You want to tell people, yes, you supported us. This is what's been happening with your funding, with your volunteer work. And then when you come back around to your annual campaign, people know that you've been good stewards with their gifts. So they're ready to up for the next quarter, the next project, and maybe even raise the, raise the bar on their donating. So wordsprint.com, Bill Gilmer and his team will certainly help you review your mailing strategy and how you can keep your, your donor base active. And right now with all the changes, it's really important. It's really important for us to stay in touch with people and let them know that we've made a pivot. So let's talk about, uh, before I bring in um, anybody to ask questions, let's talk about, Martha referred to it earlier, this thing called COVID, which I'm sure we've all heard about. Um, 13 months ago was very different than it is today. So March something a year ago, um, the door slammed. And there's a lot of organizations that um, are hardly making it and some that haven't made it, both in nonprofits and in business. So part of leadership is being able to find opportunities regardless of the situations. So how have you, leadership team, how have you adapted your model to the current situation? Well, you know, we were, as I mentioned, uh, we were a day shelter. We had an all-you-can-eat hot buffet lunch. We had um, devotions every day. We were trying to bring in uh, training classes and instructors and, you know, just something that would make somebody that would come here during the day, you know, make their day productive and opportunities for them to meet people, be engaged purposely, um, and have, you know, have a place where they can unburden and talk. When, when we were told that we had to close our doors and um, our space for all of those events had to be silenced, um, we, we had to find a way to still be available. Of course, we didn't want to give up the food service because we knew that now more than ever, we needed to find a way to provide a meal to people. Uh, we just couldn't, you know, we just we just couldn't do a, you know, the buffet anymore. We initially started with simple to-go trays, and then what we realized was the majority of the, of our guests were either coming on foot, bicycle, uh, public transportation had all but ceased, so the couldn't rely on the buses. We were watching people carpool and and coming in and asking for, for plates of food for uh, other families, other friends, and they were leaving with, you know, just stacks of, of large, you know, styrofoam clam-shaped to-go trays. And the delivery was sloppy and disappointing. 
And we had to come up with a more dignified way to be able to serve food that wasn't going to be spoiled or cold uh, by the time it got to the hand of the person that was going to be eating it. So the first thing we did was we completely revamped the way we did our food service. Uh, we threw away and, and well, we threw away, but we used up what we had left in inventory of those uh, styrofoam to-go trays. And we found um, a very nice purposeful hard uh, 20 ounce double container that fits perfectly inside those um, dormitory size refrigerators, which is what most people get when they're living in rooming houses. The big styrofoam to go trays don't fit in those. Hmm. These trays are uh, microwavable, they're freezer safe, and we decided to go to meal prepping. So as we were getting food from all the restaurants, we would deliberately uh, prepare a nice already cooked meal and we would make it almost like a like a TV dinner. And then we would date it, we would label it. And it was something that we could quickly heat up if we wanted to, two minutes in the microwave and they can have a hot, uh, ready-made meal to go that is gonna be packaged nicely. It's gonna be, it's gonna stay warm. They can eat a little bit, put the top back on it, eat it later. And that, uh, that redefined how far our reach could go. It went from just doing um, noonday meal service to now we have eight food sharing partners that come to the lighthouse throughout the week. They take our food, they take our meals that we prepared, and then they go out and they deliver it as far as Halifax County and Nellysford. And we're able to reach over 300 people a day now just by changing the way food could be transported and not get spoiled. Wow. And we have less than 10 people that actually come and knock on our door asking for food because they know who our food partners are. And it's easier and more efficient for them to be able to go to some of those food partners because as soon as they see those meal trays, they're like, oh, you've got lighthouse food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we've been able to say, okay, we haven't changed and we haven't shut our doors, but we found a creative approach to say, hey, look, you live in this community, you live over in that community. Can we work with you? Can we share our food with you? our kitchens, your kitchen, our food pantries, your pantry? We don't want this food to go to waste. We're trying to find the best way to be the best steward of what's been given to us. And if you will be our volunteer and our partner, come and get what you need, package it up. We've got coolers, we've got boats, we've got whatever you need to transport it. And then you go knock on those doors and give it to your friends and your new friends and their new friends. And then do a wellness check and let us know if there's anything else that you can do for them that we can help you in a, as a support role. But there are people who have never had an opportunity to feel what it looks like to, to serve somebody and to actually see the, the manifestation that happens when the Holy Spirit touches them. And then suddenly they realize, wow, I do know how to be a missionary in my own backyard. I'm not afraid to go talk to my neighbors anymore. And just because I don't have access to it doesn't mean that God hasn't given me somebody that I can network with that can support my endeavor to go out there and, and, uh, and do what God called me to do. And that's how no needs among them exists. It just has this beautiful recycled approach. So that's one way that we were able to redefine our food service. And I think we actually made it better. Love it. Love it. So let me turn to our, our educated psychologist over here. Um, <laughs> you know, being, being broke is a temporary condition. Being poor is a mindset. So um, you, you, we got to feed people. We got to, people need a place to live, but there's other aspects of, of what we, what people need to be more, more self-sufficient. What are some of those ways that you support people, Tarek? We, we do just what you just said, support them. Uh, the majority of the homeless population, what we found out about uh, seven or eight years ago, was that the biggest percentage of the homeless population was either in an active addiction with alcohol or drugs, they were people who had been formerly incarcerated, or they were experiencing some uh, mental health disorder, uh, or condition 
and they weren't either diagnosed or weren't being treated for it. So when those people would go to other places, they wouldn't be received, whether it was in churches, uh, whether it was with other nonprofits who were trying to serve them, mainly because they didn't understand that. Uh, church is probably the last place you want to go if you have a mental health disorder. It's probably the last place you want to go or will be accepted if you're a felon. Uh, and certainly, if your addiction is active, no one's going to want you around there either. So those folks were kind of wandering around with no place to go. They were these wandering souls with no home. What we found out is that just like when Jesus touched a leper and made him feel human again, when we started to work and support these folks, and some of them, once we helped them, they wanted a hug. And I remember the first time hugging someone who smelled like urine and body odor. And I realized that, look, I could go wash that off. They couldn't. So it, it allowed me to say, well, you know, I can just suck it up and I can take this because this person is trying to reconnect with humanity again. Just to be, just to feel like a human being again. Once we started to do that, Hugh, we were amazed at how quickly they grew wings and just took off. I mean, we have several of the men who lived in our homes. We just opened up our first home January of 2018. Since then, we've had over 40 uh, men who have stayed in our homes. We're always excited when one of them calls us up and says, hey, I, I got promoted to a supervisor at work. And we're excited about that because they're in a position now where they're hiring other people. When three years ago, they were themselves homeless and unemployed. And now we have uh, some great representation in the community through the guys that we've helped. And now they in turn, will, they're, they're very indebted to the lighthouse and grateful for what we did for them. And when they have opportunity to do something back, uh, they take full advantage of it. So. I would say we supported them just by supporting them, just by being that network of support that most people need. It's one of the, it's one of the attributes of, of highly successful and effective people is that they have someone in their life who pushed them to maximize their potential, who believed in them, who loved them unconditionally. And with that kind of a foundation, human beings have unlimited potential and we like tapping into it. Ah, that is a touching story and a powerful story. Um, that is so that's, that makes everything worth, worth any suffering that you had to go through to get to where you are, just to see that kind of turnaround. Um, there's a couple of people that have some comments where well, you want to have a entertain questions or comments at this point. Sure. Certainly. Absolutely. I know, I know Finney is bashful, but we'll, uh, uh, we'll let it. We'll let it. Let it happen. So uh, we have Jeffrey Fulgham, who used to live in Lynchburg, but he vacated the pl the f place to go to Richmond. Uh, but he had a, a really strong career here with uh, Patrick Henry and with D Day Memorial. And then uh, J E Rash, um, who founded in in our neighboring community of Bedford, um, um, one of many organizations, Legacy International. So. Um, let's talk a little bit about legacy, and I know there's a, some commonality. Do you have, uh, Mr. Rash or, or Sheikh Rashid, do you have a comment or question for any of this team uh, or, or, or support for their, what they're doing? Uh, your mic is open. Yeah, well, first of all, welcome, and uh, I'm very happy to hear you and have the opportunity. I had some trouble getting in at the beginning, so I'm glad I finally took it in. Congratulations on the good work that you're doing, indeed, we, we do share a great deal of, um, I think, uh, principle basis of what we're doing. So I, com I commend you heartily about that. What concerns me always is the, um, the true interfaith aspect of the work, because I think that if we address, um, if we address the universal values, what I call universal human values, that cut across culture and religious religious identities and racial and uh, cultural identities, then we're 
are talking to the heart and the soul of people. And whether we tell the story from a Christian point of view or a Judaic point of view or an Islamic point of view, it's the same story where, where God, Allah, truth, asks the question, who's gonna care for what I'm creating? And all the souls in our story, all the souls that were ever to be born say we will. And then there's a warning that says, well, you know, this is a heavy, this is a heavy deal that you're agreeing to. You know, this is not an easy thing that you're agreeing to. And and so to me, what's called the amanat or the trust, this is a trust. And I think that the trust is what we always have to focus on. Otherwise, we find we're start, we always wind up talking about differences or why we can participate and why we can't participate, the linguistics, the language that's used. But if we use the language of love and we learn, learn use the language of concern and, and, and compassion and mercy, I think then we're helping people to be humane human beings, to be able to, as you gave the story about the person, the supervisor who calls back and says, I just got promoted. He called you back because you inspired him, because he cared about you. And then in that sense, if he chooses to follow your path, that's great. But he's already or she has already been been engaged in the essence and the truth. And that's where we are at Legacy. You know, we're, Legacy is a 501c3 nonprofit secular organization. We also have a religious organization, but it's all values based. And that's what I commend you when we hear when I hear about the values, when I hear about the mission of being uh, helping people to be uh, to be more, more and more uh, free, and you know whether it's love your neighbors, you love yourself, or you can't change a community until you change yourself. Whatever the quotation is, we're all saying the same thing, and I really think that, that that's the wonderful part of it. And I know that I know that many people can join in this work when it's truly interfaith and when it's truly based on our concern as human beings for one another as human beings, not by any label, other label. So that's, I guess that's my comment. And, you know, the question is always, you know, uh, what ways can we serve that, serve that work in, in ways that are true to our work and true to your work? Thank you for that. Y'all want to respond to? Sure, that, that, is, that is exactly what needs to happen anytime you minister to someone. So when Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan, there was no religious dialogue, no political dialogue. There was just one man who needed help and another man who had the resources to help them. If you notice in that story, it was the religious people who avoided helping the man, the <laughs> priest and the Levite. As far as we're concerned, religion uh, is sometimes a barrier to helping people. What we want to do is we just want to connect with other human beings, regardless of what religion they are. We connect with them based on what their needs are. If they decide they want to follow our religion, that's fine. Because my faith is in Jesus Christ. I will never back down from that, never water that down, never compromise that. Because that's what made me who I am. Not everyone is going to embrace that, and I wouldn't expect them to. Uh, but they can do what the Good Samaritan did and just help a person who is in need. And I think that defines who we are. We fed a lot of folks here who were atheists, but we didn't say we're not gonna feed you today because you're an atheist. So we'll feed anyone who's hungry because that's what we're called to do. And I think that's what Christ not only did, but expects us to do and has empowered and gifted us to do. So we look at it in, in, in much the same way. Uh, so we're talking two different tracks. One is a track of just helping people and meeting the needs of people. Another one is our faith. If someone is interested in knowing how we were able to do what we do, then I can't leave God out of it. I can't leave Jesus Christ out of it as far as it pertains to me. So we're talking two different tracks. And if someone wants to know one track, they can just ask. If they want to be a recipient of the other track, all they have to do is come here with a need and we'll try to fill it. So in your collaborations, do you have people of multiple faiths that are already working together in, in Lynchburg? We do. We do. We do, yes. Well, mm -hmm. good. Well, Mr. Resch, thank you as always. Very, very good, um, very, very good um, comment. So I want to move on with some other things. Um, so um, let me just... So let's talk about um, 
you put in the, the preliminary questions, which I've ignored to this point, <laughs> but we've done some really good stuff. So that was just in case Hugh got stuck and didn't know what to ask. So um, the, the challenge that faces so many people starting a, a 501c3 is how we build this car and we're going to learn to drive this car, but we got to put gas in it so it goes somewhere. So funding is always this stepchild of reality. How do we put that together? So how do you fund this thing? Then I want to move to your future vision because you got some big things going on and I would love for you to share share your future goals. Um, we've already talked about some obstacles, but um, talk about funding. How do you put together a funding package for something this, this big? She works with all the money. So that was gonna be a Martha answer. Hey, Martha, how do we do this? Yeah, we need, well, let's just say uh, for the most part, uh, we're working off of budgets less than $150,000 a year. And we have, we have managed to, uh, as Benny said, you know, the value is in the people. And when we've been able to bring in volunteers, and that's sort of the way we've been from the inception, is, you know, we, we invite people that are willing to share their time, their talents, and their treasures to invest into other people. And uh, that keeps our operations very, very low. And as Benny said in the beginning, we're, we self-funded most of everything that, that we were able to, um, to build. And through that came uh, very interested donors to say, what do you mean you're not taking 50% of my donation and lining it with your pockets to pay your bills? And we said, look, we're social entrepreneurs. That's what connected us to the foundation of doing something different with, with this nonprofit. And as long as we can get it for free, we're gonna give it for free. The only thing that we're asking is, you know, just help us keep our light on. Mm -hmm. And if that means, you know, assistance with the, uh, with, with the, uh, the cost to operate, and that's really it, just our operations. Uh, people were like, you know what, I can afford $50 a month to buy your coffee that you're, you're making and brewing every day. I can afford another $25 a month to make sure you have plates and plasticware or disposable items. And, and, you know, and then as that grew, then it came into, all right, you know, we're the restaurants. I'll give you my leftovers at the end of the night so you don't have to go to the grocery store and figure out how you're going to cook and prepare or, you know, I mean, those, those could be very big hemorrhages to your wallets if, if we're not out there asking and you don't know till you go. And for us, you know, we went to the food bank, we were eligible as a, uh, as a nonprofit to, to get what we needed from them. And when we ran low, we were afraid to ask to say, hey, look, we're, we're tight this month. We need, we need 2000. But because our operations, as I mentioned, were so small, we're talking maximum 10,000 a month. That's, that's what we were looking at. Um, and only this year have we found ourselves being recognized by the Department of Social Services and this Commonwealth of Virginia, TANF has come to us and said, we'll give you a grant if you continue to do what you're doing for the men, <laughs> because there are so many programs for women and women with children, but there is uh -huh. nothing community that is out there that is trying to transform and uplift the lives of men who are trying to rebuild their lives and who have dependent children, and who have dependent children that want to yeah, yeah. be a caregiver whether it's financial or reunification. If you all continue to do this, then we're gonna get behind you. So they gave us a grant this year so that we could provide those professional services. And that's really what birthed the, um, you know, the, the Lighthouse Community Health Services. If we're going to be a mental health caregiver and provide services, then we wanna be able to do it for everybody. But Tanif said, for those men that are unemployed, and are below the poverty level that don't have the means to support their children, we'll take care of those bills if you just, you know, commit. So we're, you know, we were ecstatic to, to see their interest and their support that is going to allow us to just grow our mental health services even, even that much bigger. 
That's good. And Hugh, if I could just throw this in. Uh-huh. Yeah. If I could just throw this in because it ties in with both what Martha and Finney said. Um, we, we look at it, uh, that whole fishes and loaves idea, and I've summed it up in, in one of the Bible studies that Martha alluded to when we, we would uh, have Bible studies every day right before we would serve lunch. One of the things that, that I told the folks who were there that one day is that God doesn't want our abundance. What he wants is our obedience. And when we're obedient with the things that we have, whether it's very limited resources, when you're faithful in those little things, God many times will multiply those little things like he did the fishes and loaves or like he did the oil and the grain with the, with the widow at Zarephath. You know, it was, it was an opportunity for God to show what he can do. And in the book of Acts, when the people didn't look at their possessions as being their own, but they were willing to share it, it was the only time in the Bible where it says there were no needs among them. And that's what we kind of liken ourselves to is that we're not out here saying, well, if we ever get a lot of money or if we ever get a grant or if we ever get the support we need, then we'll help people. We look at it and say, what do we have? And we take what we have and meet the needs that we can. And God has continued to multiply those to the tune of about two and a half million dollars two years ago, right before we got the grant. And uh, they were saying, wow. You guys are doing that much with that little. Let's talk about the future. We got about two minutes. So, Finney, you got this these big deal housing projects. Give us a summary on you've been faithful. You stayed with it. You've proven that you could do a lot with a little. And now things are happening in a big way. Yes. And, and let me share that great news with the community and people who are listening in. Again, another faith walk all the way. 100% faith walk. We didn't have a dollar in our bank account but we stepped out in faith and signed a contract, actually two contracts. One is for a 35 acres, one is for a 53 acres. Both of them, uh, we were praying, okay, God, now we signed the contract, how are we gonna buy it? <laughs> so, you know, people always say, oh, you better make sure you got everything in place before you step out. Yes, that is, of course, the corporate structure way they're supposed to do things. But when we talk about true faith and walking in faith and trusting God for it and believing that he's the one who's directing you to do this, that's exactly where we are at. By the grace of God, we stepped in by faith. We trusted God because we believed that it was him doing it. He brought to us the first investor for the first property. So he wrote the check to say, here, go and buy that property. We are now waiting on the second property that we need to close this coming month, May the 5th. We are raising $300,000. We truly believe the money is already there. Somebody who is either listening to this video today, this Facebook page, they might be the one who needed to hear this. But we are, we are believing that God is going to provide the way for us to close on this. What does this do? That seed, that $300,000 seed will house more than 2,000 families in the city. Now you think about that for a second. God can take a $300,000 investment and turn that into housing families who are living in the low income bracket where they will be able to have a place that they can say it is their own home. Now the $300,000 is the seed funding we need. The rest of the money is already being supported through other grants and other way of structuring how this is being done. So I know people say, oh, you're gonna need $100 million. Yes, we do. But that piece is covered. We have that component covered. We already know how to get that. We just need the initial phase, starting phase. We got the first property that's already in the works, the 53 acres. Now we have the 35 acres that needs to be funded. And we already raised $15,000 this past Saturday. Uh, through donors who just stepped up and said, hey, here's, here's my seed of 1,000, here's the seed of 5,000. And I know the people listening in, in this call can say, hey, Finney, I'm gonna trust you guys because you've been faithful. And this is how God works because we are walking out in faith and trusting God for this. And we are gonna believe that he's gonna make it happen. So come down and join with us and be part of what the change is happening in our community.
Amen to that. You know, we have abundance. We just have to get out of the way sometimes and, you know, let it happen because it's there. So the, you, you've got a, a Martha, uh, yeah. Tarek, uh, Fanny, thank you for being uh, the guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. So thank you and your blessing. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>